Hello, bitches. It's Wednesday Wisdom. Do it together. It's a Wednesday Wisdom. Our lobbies, let's do it. Oh, yeah. Do you have to be so dramatic, Eagle? Pompous. Damn you, Eagle! Wednesday Wisdom. Welcome back to another episode of Wednesday Wisdom. Yes, I was out in the sun today for about 90 minutes. It is the winter sun. The beautiful, cold, fresh, gentle rays of the winter sun. Summer sun, forget it. It's not going to happen in Sydney. Here we are for another episode of Wednesday Wisdom. These used to be full-time on periscope.tv forward slash gabsmacked, but we have now shifted this to the podcast and YouTube. Why? I don't know. We'll see how we go. The first thing I said to the doctor today was, can I grab a pen and paper off you? Because I actually forgot my notebook in the Vespa. Why do I have a Vespa? Ah, well, that's a whole long story. It's to do with the books. So the first thing he does is give me a gray pen with four rings around the bottom of it. Now forget the papers, he gave me papers as well. Now, here's the thing, as soon as he handed me that pen, about a hundred flashes of many times in the past where I've had that pen at different times, all the way down to the age of 11, 1992, when I was in year six, six, sixth grade. Now, I might not have necessarily had that pen in sixth grade, but I had flashes of it and I was back to being sixth grade again, along with seventh grade, eighth and ninth, and just flashes forward and backwards. That's some sort of PTSD uh, type of, it's a furious shock of a memory. And it's, it's almost like a defibrillator smashing you back into the past and back into the present multiple times. And I asked the doc whether that is normal. And he said that he didn't experience it. And when I say normal, it means more, is it common? And these memories are painful. I told him that, you know, just on the way here, I was, or even yesterday, I was on my Vespa and, oh, I get this memory, just, oh, just like electric shocks that go through my head of some smell or something has triggered a memory so powerful uh, that it is as if it just happened. Uh, that can happen independent of time. And so when you read my book, that's why the book is so disjointed because I don't remember things more strongly if they are closer to the present, which I I now understand most humans do. And in fact, the first time I had any idea of a chronological understanding of time was in my early 20s when I was put onto this medication which dumbed down my, my brain activity temporarily. And only then I could discover that I could calculate mathematics in my head. So before that, I was more of a jumbled mess. But I still had these aftershocks of memories. And you know, I said to him that I had now learned to except that there's no point in reliving the memory and suffering from it as if it's just happened. It's already happened. There's no point on dwelling on it, but you can learn from that memory. Now, that particular memory was that I contacted this girl who was a friend of my girlfriend after my girlfriend had dumped me. This was about, I think, a year or two ago. And uh, and I'm like, ah, damn it. My ex-girlfriend probably found out, and that's why she doesn't talk to me. And then I thought, well, hold on a sec. She dumped me. I contacted the girl. The girl probably told her, whatever. And we're done. So the lesson is that if you ever in the future have an ex-girlfriend, <laughs> hopefully not, but if you do, then do not contact her friends after she dumps you. That's just a rule. You've now learned it. No need to repeat it. The past has happened. Done. So I've learned to disassociate the living of the experience with the fact that it has been lived. These are two different things. Now, uh, here is an interesting point a little bit off topic, and we're going to come back to that point, was that I found it amazing that I could observe, well, what seems to me, as wants to be portrayed by the media, that 150 million people in America 
tend to think one way and 150 million tend to think the other way. Now, that's a, clearly a very simplistic view, but you can see that there's some sort of polarization happening there. And I've discovered through my Periscope account, because I've been dealing with people exponentially higher in frequency than I have been in my whole life. If anyone knows, realspeakinghuman.com. If you are bothered, you can understand the story or listen to the director's cuts. I forgot about those. Anywho, uh, what was I going to say? Yes, a lot of the problems I have discovered are linguistic between, uh, between well, what could ex helps explain the polarization that we're seeing. So, for example, um, open borders to half the country means we still have borders. They're not no borders. They're just open, which means that th there's a filtration system. Now, the other half, when they hear open borders, they hear no borders. But that's not actually true. So, so they're having a linguistic problem. It's almost like there was a subset of the English language or two subsets of the English language and neither party thinks the other one is speaking the other subset, so they misunderstand each other. If you want to know more about that, periscope.tv forward slash gapsmack. I have live discussions with awesome people, and they throw stuff, I throw stuff back. So I said to him that people are seeing eye to eye and not ear to ear. <laughs> it was a silly thing, but the point is that we define certain metrics via which we interpret facts, and we derive from them conclusions. But conclusions are different to facts. Now, it's weird that me as the autist, and we're going to come up to this later, because it's almost like I'm transcending uh, you know, certain views that not even neurotypicals transcend in general. And the irony is that it came from my inability to understand humans. So I sort of had to overcompensate and have developed this ability to transcend through a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering. And if once again, I keep saying the book because it saves me having to tell you the whole story. You can just go ahead and read it. And if you don't, uh, most of you probably won't because you're busy and have other things to do and other priorities, then you can ask me in the comments, what was it you were referring to? And I'll copy sections. <laughs> no, I, then I'll make another video and answer based on those questions. All right. Coming back to what we were saying just about the PTSD is that that can be triggered by violations in our relationship templates. This is fascinating because it has allowed me to, once again, transcend haters. Now, what I have noticed, and this is an archetype, this is the archetype of the Resentor, I call the Resentor, which is a overdevelopment of Lucifer and Loki. When, when they, they are, by their nature, rebellious, and that rebellion can turn into resentment, and that resentment can then allow you to want to annihilate everything that exists because of the pain that the resentment causes. Uh, no, this is not a seatbelt. This is a good bag I got from the US. It arrived today. It's awesome. Saves me wearing my bum bags. I can now strap this on. And hey, hey. Oh my God. So I'll give you an example. When I only had five followers on Periscope and they've gone up to, I think, combined two and a half thousand across the channels. And there's a lot of overlap. It actually adds up to about 4,000. But independent followers is about two and a half thousand. So it's obviously extremely tiny, but it's way bigger than what I expected. When I got onto Periscope, I had five followers for a long time, for about a year, five to ten followers. And then there was one day where I had a rant and it just went through the roof. But the what was the point? The point is that out of those followers, uh, I spoke to all of them. This was the first time that I really had contact with more than one human per month, you know, except for staff and stuff like that. But uh, you know, people who weren't my staff for the first time, it was insane. And naturally, as I grew in size, I was unable to respond to everyone uh, equally from those with whom I used to chat a lot with. 
Uh, and that's natural. It's a natural progression. You can talk to your five or 10 followers, but then when you have a thousand, you, you physically can't do it. Now you might stay in contact with one or two that were really good friends, but not in touch with the rest. And it's not that you deliberately avoid them. It's just that you just ceased to contact. Now, in some cases, yes, you might say, oh, I don't really have anything in common with them. Um, and then you get busy. So what happens is that it's very easy, according to my psych, for the other people who have a relationship template in their mind of how a relationship should work, it's very easy for them to then feel rejected and take it personally. And that can be extremely painful if they have experienced that in the past. And more often than not, the most extreme adverse reaction to being rejected comes from those who have experienced it in the past constantly. And they haven't ever, according to the psych, reflected on why they feel that way. And so what they think is that it's not that their view of a relationship in a frame uh, has been uh, violated. In other words, it's not their view that's incorrect. It's the other person that fits their view. And the only conclusion is the other person rejected them personally, as opposed to it not being personal at all. In fact, uh, I can tell them it wasn't, but that they're not going to believe that. And they'll, they'll put a thumbs down here on YouTube because that's their job. Now, uh, it, this is exactly what the psych said. He, he sees this constantly, and this is institutionalized study almost. And let me get into this because my ADHD is about to send me somewhere else for the next 10 seconds. We're back. It only took seven seconds. So what happens is that they people in general, and this happens everywhere. We're gonna, I'm going to abstract this in a sec. They mistake conflating their relationship framework that they have put around, what they expect uh, from the world. They've mistaken that with the ultimate truth. And so when those two things coincide, it's not their framework that's incorrect, it's the truth that's incorrect. And so they have to come up with a new story. They rejected me, I hate them, they did this to me, it's their fault, I'm gonna make them suffer because I'm protecting myself. It's a protective mechanism. The irony is that that repeated behavior causes what a lot of people think is karma or call karma, which is that the, the, the behavior is, is so repetitive because it's the same pain that they're feeling and the same framework that they have, that they leave a pathway or they, a, a trail of people that they've pissed off. And uh, for example, it's become openly obvious that one particular person might, for example, set up 30 different accounts and chat amongst themselves. And then it becomes obvious because like 100 people then figure it out and broadcast it because they've experienced the same pain from this individual. So you just say, actually, what I do now is I say, well, actually, now that I get that, it makes perfect sense that they would lash out. And in fact, they were indirectly rejected. And so if they think that they were directly rejected, then they're going to lash out. It's completely normal. So you say lash, lash. And then if someone you know, is going to believe those people, then that's actually, they're actually doing your favor because those people that would tend to believe someone that erratic and et cetera, and not willing to look through the whole scope to realize that they're incorrect, would number one, not have an open mind. Number two, not be someone you want within your scopes or your views anyway. So they're doing you a favor from that perspective. Uh, now, brain fart time, excuse me, coming back to relationship frameworks. So for example, we might expect that because we were able to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps that everyone should be able to as well. Why not? They're just lazy or they haven't worked hard. Now that in a sense, may or may not be true for some people. But that is seeing things one-dimensionally. Uh, 
life is, as we've seen, multi-dimensional, and there are multi-conflicting conclusions one can draw from the same facts. This is something. This, this is. I have suffered a, an amount of abject humiliation in my life and and destruction of my character that that I was forced to realize this. Um, growing up with with autism, it, it, you don't think that you're growing up with something that everyone else doesn't have. You, you that is not how your brain works. It, you think that you're observing people act weirdly, so they, they're all weird. And if, if in a room of 100 people, 60 think you're weird, you blame the 60 people. This is so common now. I see it all the time. And, and it happens even today. You can walk around and go, God damn these liberals, or God damn these conservatives, or God damn these, I don't know, these karate students, whatever group it is that you're imagining there to be. And you think, how do they not get it? Just ridiculous. And actually what's going on is that there are multiple dimensions of reality acting simultaneously. And each one is not aware of the others. Irrespective of IQ, this has nothing to do with it. Now, as I said, in my case, it took, it took the whole world after 25 years of treating me in a foul way um, and, and not understanding me. And then me surviving the suicide unintentionally. Um, these are things I don't talk about in detail here. Um, but I can take your mind through it once again, once we finish the director's cut, to explain what it means for someone to make that decision. You now know that each second it ticks by, there aren't many left before you join most of humanity into the abyss uh, of the unknown. So uh, it's a very big deal. I won't talk about it here. But the point is that you then realize you have all your hopes and your dreams and your ego and your psyche and everything stripped away from you. To the point where you have no choice but to accept being a simple organism that knows nothing about anything. And then, only then do your eyes open and you start to realize that the whole world is acting in the same way and is blinded, is blinded by its own relationship frameworks that it expects to be real. Because the brain, there is, it's overwhelming as this conclusion in terms of its predictive power, this hypothesis. The brain cannot distinguish between what it believes to be true and what is true. It's a malfunction in the human brain that we didn't have to worry about until now. So, of course, I now live consciously in this irony, which is that I am making assumptions and I work with those assumptions, but I'm aware that I'm basing my reality on those assumptions and they can always be disproven given new evidence any day of the week or as soon as my assumption doesn't predict the correct outcome. So far, it's been all right. Well, recently, anyway. Uh, took a lot of work. All righty. Yeah, so keep in mind, I'll give you an example. For 15 years, I did not know that I could tan. And I think this is in the book, I'm not sure, but I was desperately trying to tan. I didn't know I could tan. Uh, it turns out I tan like a mofo very quickly. But the only reason I figured it out was because I looked at baby photos when I was 10, and I saw, I, I thought there was something wrong with the photo, but I looked, no, no, my dad's still white, and I was... Who was that kid? Turns, I thought, oh, maybe I just tanned as a kid. So straight away, you, you, your next step is to think, no, not that you're wrong, that, oh, there must be some explanation outside of myself. Immediately, you start to think that. And then you realize, no, actually, it takes 45 minutes in the winter sun, not five minutes. Because I thought, oh, it didn't happen in five minutes, so therefore... Anyway, that sounds ridiculous to most people. But what can happen is you can abstract it to your own life. 
for example, the idea of a nation that is a story, what's, that's not actually what's going on. When you look at a map, you see lines and you think that there's an actual line there in your mind. Subconsciously, you think, yeah, there's a line. So therefore, as soon as I step over, well, no, that's not how borders have ever worked. There's always been intermingling at borders. So border towns and border cities can speak. They tend to be more bilingual. And as you get towards the center of a, of a country, uh, geographically, it becomes you know, traditionally more ethnically homogenous. Uh, in a back in the empire days, etc. But this is not something that uh, is well known or known enough. All right, let's move on to our next topic, confusion around boundaries. I'm a butcher. People ask for meat. I give them a beautiful cut part of meat and I say, by the way, that came from the third cow I sliced up yesterday and you should have seen the blood all over the floor outside. No, I don't talk like that. I am deliberately withholding information, but that would be obvious that you withhold that. Now, unfortunately, that makes perfect sense, but sometimes that's called establishing a boundary. Sometimes you don't know what fits within that boundary of irrelevance and what doesn't. And sometimes logically, something might be within the boundary of irrelevance that actually legally isn't. And that is, that's, that's, that, that's a problem that happens all the time. Unfortunately, those with autism, it happens a huge amount of time. Now, it's not necessarily because they have autism. So, you know, you look at a lot of those people who have come in here new and seen me function today. This took years, years, right? So, for example, years, and I lift my eyebrows, you ready? Took years, took years, took years, right? So, th this type of practice was incessant for me. And then I had professionals helping me. I had someone who volunteered thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I did not have to pay because they were a volunteer at the Sisters of Charity Outreach in uh, King's Cross uh, down at the um, uh, hospital there, St. Vincent's. And for seven years, she taught me how to become more human. And I'm very lucky because once you see the Speaking Human Director's Cut, you will understand what it means to be a savant. It's an unusual ability to memorize and recall in a what what feels normal, but to those testing me, the look on their faces. And how do I have facial recognition? Well, type in Gabsmacked facial recognition. You will see how I do that. I do that algorithmically, mathematically. Um, and what's interesting is that other people don't know how they do it. So that's fascinating. I'm learning as much about neurotypicals as they're learning about me. So what was the point of this conversation? I don't remember. There is something to be said about a to-do list in writing. Now, I've been using an electronic to-do list for the last 18 years, since I was about 20. I had a tablet PC in the 90s. No, it wasn't in the 90s. It was 2003. I had a tablet PC in 2003, before the iPad came out. Uh, the battery lasted about 20 minutes. <laughs> it was on Windows XP or 3.1. I can't remember. I think it was XP or 2000. Yeah, it was XP or 2000. And uh, it was brilliant. It was hand recognition writing, and I used to write all the time. It was brilliant back then, Microsoft, before, um, before they went... Anyway, like, it's just crazy. I was obsessed with that. I was a massive advocate for electronic to-do lists. Now, I've just gone back to a list one today, like, without a computer. And I thought, oh, my God, I've forgotten how amazing it was. Because it's solid. It's there all day. I can see my priorities constantly, even though I've forgotten them upstairs at the moment. And what else? Something about the pleasure of actually writing it out. I don't know what it is. Now, I worked on my thesis today in writing. Number one, I could sit in the sun, hence, to-do. And... I didn't have to worry about the computer because you can't see the computer when it's in the sun. The battery sometimes goes out. It's too heavy. Now, when you're using Word, you can see that you know, you're on page this of this many. 
but you don't really have an idea of where everything is. So when you're writing, I can actually physically see what I'm achieving, what I've done, what I have to go, what's missing. Now, I know you can do that on your PC. You can, you can have multiple you know, versions of the document open simultaneously so you can see. But then the screen gets too small. Uh, then sometimes it's loading. You know what? I said I went back to that and it was great. Much more flexibility. Didn't have to worry about batteries, charging, anything like that. So that was really good. Now, of course, obviously, computer is important. Anyway, so the point is that's why I always wanted tablet PCs. So then I could replace the writing experience with a tablet. And I never, ever could get the right tablet. You know why? It doesn't exist. <laughs> now, people are going to come out right now and say, oh, my God, no, the iPad Pro, come on, you know, was Windows Surface uh, 5 billion, whatever, the, the whole thing, the eczema blueking, the MyPad, I don't know, whatever people come up with. Yes, they're all amazing. They are all amazing. I love technology. I absolutely am obsessed and I love technology, but I do not indulge that obsession. I stick with my Logitech, that's right, and my HP tablet that was given to me by my awesome parents as a gift a few years ago. So the point is that I took it for granted that of course I'm going to use a PC, of course, and someone's going, use a Mac, I can hear it now. No, what's the point? The point is that there are assumptions so ingrained that are so obvious to other people, and I'm telling you now that now that I'm on Periscope and I've had half a million views and I don't know how many interactions with people all across the board, across everything, across all the devices, etc., that it happens all the time to everyone and we see it. So you, me, can see the other person's inadequacy in their hypothesis of what makes up the world. And this happens all the time, everywhere, with your children, with your parents, with your aunties, your husbands, misunderstandings. And that's on top of the linguistic misunderstandings I mentioned about 17 minutes ago. So it's amazing we can even bloody talk to each other at all. But the first thing that's required is that you do not enter an argument assuming that your position is axiomatic. You need to come in with all the humility possible that you're expecting to be proven wrong at least 1% of your argument. At least. It'll probably be 99%, but still, at least 1%. You're coming in to listen to information that could affect and make your argument better. So what did I say to my doctor today? I said, my Periscope viewers are the stones via which I sharpen my intellectual knife. That's right. Dwell on that. Now, what I noticed recently on Periscope is that my number of followers haven't gone up that much, but the intensity has gone up. And how do I measure that? I measure that by the percentage time that people watch my videos for. Now, the average is now 25%. So what does that mean? That means on average, every 30 minutes of my scopes gets about, what's that, about 7.5 uh, minutes of viewing. Now, the average Periscope channel does not get anywhere near that, even though they might have heaps more followers. That is not a, compar a, a superlative comparison. One is not better than the other, absolutely not. That's not my point. My point is that the intensity has gone up and I've defined it by that. In other words, the hardcoreness of your group, how dedicated they are to listening to what you say. So there's a subset of your total number of followers that's going to watch all of your scopes. So your hardcore fan level has increased. What I've noticed, and this could be wrong, but what I've noticed is that the number of haters that I, ha that I receive has increased proportionally with the, with the intensity of my following. That's a very hard thing to map. But, but there seems to be some sort of correlation between the two, even if it's not direct or it could be a multivariate, but that's one of the variables. So this comes back to the idea of the resenter. The resenter is going to resent you the more popular you are because resentment is related 
to the belief that life has treated you unfairly. How come they get this and I don't? And that can become pathological, especially if you have narcissistic tendencies and you feel that the world owes you. If you feel the world owes you, then how do you gauge that? Well, you gauge it by, via those who you deem are more fortunate than yourself. Well, there's a way to deal with that. Number one, stay away from someone who thinks like that. It's very dangerous, even if they're your own family member. Of course, get advice from your own professional. That's just, <laughs> that's my autistic thing, slicing it off, cutting the line. All right. Uh, number two, just allow them to do what they're going to do. Now, we're very, very lucky that we live in a society where we can afford to let people just lash out and make themselves feel better. Because in other societies or prehistoric societies or most societies around the world, if someone hates you, they might come and kill your family. So we're very lucky that in the West, we don't have that problem in general. Um, now, you may have noticed that I'm extra white around my eyes. Yes, because I was wearing sunglasses. That's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. So what's next? The last thing to talk about is the idea of Lucifer in John Stuart Mill type of writing. And, um, or was it Mark Twain? Mark Twain, John Stuart Mill, I can't remember now exactly. It might have been a combination of the two, but the, the, the Loki archetype and the Lucifer archetype before Lucifer becomes satanic, excuse me, is the idea of rebellion, rebellion against authoritarianism. Now, authoritarianism is the tyranny that hierarchies can tend towards. And this is a fascinating topic because I talk about this even with Christian conservatives. And it's a fascinating topic about which we can roughly agree. Now, what happens is that when you have an, a hierarchy, okay, uh, a hierarchy is sort of, if you imagine a cathedral built brick by brick over a long period of time. So there's a lot of knowledge contributed to the hierarchy. Now, that doesn't mean that it's being built in the right direction. You might have to nudge it uh, slowly but surely. And there's the place of the rebel. The archetype of the rebel, I would say... Uh, would ideally need to be enshrined within the hierarchy itself, so that the hierarchy constantly criticizes itself, so that it can be guided by itself. And there's an internal dialogue of fighting between those who are proponents of the hierarchy in its current form and those who rebel against it. And that mutual synthesis requires multidimensional ways of thinking. It's very difficult to think that way. It's very hard for anyone, irrespective of intelligence or IQ. It's very hard to think that way. And so it requires one to make the assumption that they're probably wrong um, or at least not completely correct. And so that argument will go on forever. Now, what happens is that this is what happens is that, not that. What happens throughout every single hierarchy we've ever seen, whether it's the medical profession in Australia, in America, whether it's the, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, whether it was the Jewish Sanhedrin, uh, whether it was uh, the shrines uh, in, uh, to Baal and to Mot and uh, to El uh, in, you know, for the Phoenicians, all of these hierarchies that become established. Um, and with, with the Phoenicians, there was, I think, in 385 roughly BC, uh, you know, the capital of Phoenicia being Tyre was ravaged and 30,000 people were killed or invaded or destroyed um, by Alexander the Great because they refused to allow him to pray and sacrifice at their temple because he was not one of the Phoenician priests. So what is the point of that? The point is that hierarchies tend towards authoritarianism, but without any hierarchy, you have chaos. And so out of chaos emerges another hierarchy, even if it's the hierarchy that's against that hierarchy. So you, you can't 
have a following without a hierarchy because you're speaking on behalf of others and therefore you create a pyramid system. Now, there are better explanations for why that happens mathematically. It's happened before the earth existed. It happens with suns, happens with trees. It happens now with bus stops. There's, there's a hierarchy and, and it's something deeper than what humans have created. Um, now, it's something that we can fight against. For example, if you're anti-hierarchical, I, ironically being anti-hierarchical will end up helping uh, create a hierarchy, um, a new one. Uh, which would be the reverse of the old one, but still. All right, so what do we have? Brain fart. All right, when we have a group of four working on an assignment, what do we notice? We notice that one works really hard, the other two work sort of hard, and then the last one uh, decides to do nothing and then just bludge off the whole thing. So you, you have this type of discrepancy in general whenever you have some sort of collective trying to seek some sort of goal of value. Uh, value itself means you're eliminating things that are not value and that already because there are less things of value than there are things of value by definition that's what something of value is then you are mathematically creating something called a period of distribution prices law or hierarchy now there, there's another distribution of which i'm not too familiar um, but eric weinstein mentioned it recently i can't remember what it is i'm going to go back and look it up all right what's the point of this the point is that as opposed to trying to work out the reasons for some things being great, such as the idea of marriage in the sense that you are rising above yourself to become part of something bigger than yourself, that part. Uh, that part, the idea of it is actually amazing for many reasons that I won't mention on this scope. Now, it took me 37 years to get to that point. I was the exact opposite. I was very anti-marriage, very anti-traditional, if anyone knows me for a long time. And I'm still anti-tradition in most cases, but I do respect it for a few reasons. One is that why should it take everyone 37 years to figure out what I figured out when the answer's already there? That's number one. But number two, by relying just on the answer, then you cannot shape the hierarchy in a direction if it goes off course. So marriage might be amazing, but the idea of uh, maybe, uh, I'm trying to think of a good word here, preventing consenting couples of the same sex or uh, preventing other types of marriages, for example, interracial or interreligious, etc. This then becomes a problem. So you can see that the idea can be good, but carrying with it some side effects that no longer fit in our society. And so you need the seat of the rebel who can successfully argue constantly uh, against the traditions to help guide them into a better path because without that if that rebel is not listened to that rebel then turns to resentment and then subsequently annihilation and that's where you get the embodiment of satan where they want evil destruction and you can become that we we allow that to manifest when we hate something so much that we want it destroyed the good and the bad altogether uh, baby with the bathwater is the typical one i've I've heard, and that's quite important. I'm going to talk about that with Tad on Periscope. I'll try to get a discussion with him somewhere, but I've got so much on my plate. It's just crazy. I've got to, the next thing I've got to do is the, the thesis on, um, on vaccination. I've been getting so many requests for that. So the last thing I'm going to say is I said to my doctor that a lot of people who just meet me say to me, you don't have autism. That can't be right. You, you, you seem you know, like unbelievably wise, intelligent, all this crap. Well, number one, that's not true. I don't know what I'm talking about 99% of the time. I try to formulate hypotheses by thinking out loud. And then I listen to myself sometimes six months or a year later and think, what the hell was I on about? So it's just a stepping stone process to help better prepare my future self for even better arguments if possible. Uh, the next thing is, in a way, it's like if someone was born who can't see color, and so they dedicate their lives to learning how to adjust 
themselves into a world where color exists. In other words, other people can see the color and they can't. By doing that, if you find key markers, you might actually end up seeing color better than they do because you can't see the actual color, but you can see beyond it. You can understand what color will do so you know exactly what to do technically. And that's the best way to explain my autism. Um, someone who couldn't walk properly, it was obviously autistic. Now, if you, in hindsight, if you see videos of me as a child, which I've showed to some of my top guests, he's obviously autistic. So in today's society, looking backwards. But remember that we don't know what at the future, our future generation is going to look back and see in us. Things like maybe eating meat or driving cars might be morally reprehensible by that time. And so we can see the autism of that day. Whereas in that day, they couldn't see it. They just thought this kid is naughty. He's cheeky. He, he, uh, he's deliberately walking like a, like a spastic, you know, like think, and, and spastic was a term that was not uh, reprehensible back in the day. In fact, there was a, there was a, there was a foundation called the spastic center. Uh, it was hilarious. I remember as a kid used to laugh, like, what is that word? Um, anyway, so yeah, I was called spastic. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of suffering came through from that. Uh, there were times where I would, well, you know, most of my lunches were spent in the bathroom at school before they built the music center. And having to sit in the bathroom just smelling urine and hearing the flush every few minutes in order to stay away from humans spitting on you, berating you and kicking you, etc. is not the best way you would want a adolescent, an adolescent to, you know, uh, spend their school days. But that's what happened to my younger self. We have to accept it. However, out of that came a level of richness. And these, these series of independent bouts of richness are what fill up, I can't think of the word right now, but they, they, they fill up these YouTube scopes and periscopes, etc. YouTube videos and periscopes. Uh, and so the suffering and the richness are one and the same thing. So if you ask me today, for the first time, would you go back and live your life again? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, I would. Uh, which is very hard to say because, as I just mentioned to you, I mentioned to you one snippet of, of what I went through. The abuse was, was pretty heavy. Um, uh, so um, there you go. That ends this, uh, that ends this scope. Um, whether or not I'm transcending the autism or transcending neurotypical thinking via the autism, we don't know. But that ends our Wednesday Wisdom. It was a pleasure to see you all. Until next time, don't forget to take life one smack at a time.